Hey, this is Kim Davis, and welcome to another one-on-one podcast. With me today, I have Joachim Hongfist, who is Senior Director of Marketing at EpiServer, but there's an extra title currently, isn't there? Yeah, I'm, I'm also here in North America helping out the U.S. marketing teams. I'm the head of North American marketing as well. Okay, well, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you because we our paths have crossed a number of times over the past couple of years, I guess, and uh, I met you originally when you were based in Sweden, which is EpiServer's home, but of course, as we were saying just before I hit record, EpiServer has an increasing profile in the United States. You were talking about being at a kind of tipping point. Yeah, I think so. Um, um, Working here in the U.S. is is a little different because we're used to being seen as the giant tech company. We have something like 40 or 50 percent of all publicly traded companies in Sweden using EpiServer. So when I jump on calls here and I talk to prospects and they describe EpiServer as up and coming and the new kid on the block, it's a little bit special, but it's nice and we like to be in that role. So I think we're at the point now where there's enough people that have heard about EpiServer, had positive experiences with EpiServer, the analysts are speaking fondly of us that we're seeing um, a very nice traction and, and, and we're very pleased about our projections here in the U.S. right now. now I know you came over here in February on, uh, I guess, a, a temporary assignment. What, what's your mission being in the States? So, um, obviously, the North American market is, is the biggest growth market for us um, and where we have the greatest opportunity because we're still a small player in, in a big C. So I'm essentially just here to strengthen up the marketing team and make sure that we drive leads to the extent that we need in order to hit the, the projected growth that we have for 2017. Um, so that's my mission and, and we have, um, we've added some staff and we're currently adding some more people. So I just want to get a structure in place here where we have all the players that we think we need in order to grow, grow marketing's contribution of the sales pipeline. Now, of course, I've written about EpiServer in the past, and I'll provide some links with this podcast. But um, essentially, marketing, commerce, content management, an ever-broadening offering. But what I think is really fascinating about what you're doing is you're a marketing tech company, but you're applying all those lessons about personalization and targeting and data to actually market EpiServer itself. Yeah, I, I think there are there are amazing things happening, and I, I think that unfortunately a lot of the tools and a lot of knowledge is still not available to to most companies. So I think it's fun for us to to have a chance to play around with some of the tools that we have ourselves and other tools that you need from whatever is available in the market to do modern targeted personalized marketing. And when we were speaking just here before jumping on the the podcast, I I think that one thing that I strongly believe is that. Companies today, uh, or individuals today, I should say, will be amazed at how impersonal websites and experiences are today. And if we would look back five years from now, I think that we would laugh at how hard it was to go to a website to get your item exchanged or uh, file a support ticket where you actually got the help that you needed and not just a a boilerplate response that somebody would get back to you. Uh, I think there are so many parts of the online customer experience today where companies really, they do suck. They're pretty good at optimizing the checkout or getting somebody to buy something. But if you look at what what people are doing online, most of the time they're not coming to you to buy. They're coming to research, they're coming to understand, they're coming to get support. And it's very important to also provide a good personalized experiences in those scenarios. And I think that that's where companies have a lot to learn because that 
brand affinity that would yeah. come out of a good experience versus a very bad experience will pay off in the long run. You will do business with companies that are easy to deal with, that helps you get whatever you wanted to do done, and you will turn down companies where you have one very lousy experience. Right. Now, of course, working for Episerver, you're a B2B marketer. So do those lessons, the lesson the customer journey doesn't stop with conversion, those lessons apply in the B2B space? Indeed. I think that uh, the most challenging part of B2B marketing is that there's so many companies that could potentially buy what you have to offer. And I think that where a lot of companies go wrong is that they try to target all companies that could potentially buy from them. But if you look at most technology investments, you do it once and then you have a cycle of three to five years before you have to buy something similar again. And your challenge here as a marketer is obviously, okay, how do we find people that are there, like within 12 months from that decisions that, that could help them buy your software where you may be the best option out there. So we invest a lot of time in, in trying to understand people's digital footprints, well, offline footprints as well, but the digitals are easier to say, okay, what are the characteristics of someone that's out there looking for a technology that we could do? And it could be somebody that you know, searches for a specific keyword in Google. It's somebody that goes to a third-party review site. There's a lot of ways where you can decipher that intent. But I think that's the core, and, and that's where a lot of B2B companies still need to be, become better at. Okay, how do we interpret the data of what people are you doing to say, okay, here are sweet spot accounts that we could serve where we have a superior offer to our competitors and where we could invest a lot of time and money to convince them that we're the best choice for them. Instead of just spraying and praying and doing advertising <laughs> online and saying, okay, we're going to go after everyone in this industry. Um, now, I wonder if you think of this from the perspective of account-based marketing. That's obviously a, a buzz term, but are you talking about identifying those accounts which, from all the knowledge and data you're gathering, appear to be worth investing a lot of time and attention to? Absolutely. So I think that Account-based marketing is, is probably one of those things that are most confused today. It's new. Everybody thinks they're doing it in some way. Everybody thinks that everyone else is doing it in some way. But no one really knows how it's being done or how it should be done. So, yes, it starts out with, obviously, a mapping of accounts where you would like to go in. Um, a lot of times those accounts, though would be ideal accounts that maybe don't have a, a compelling need for your software right now. If, if you ask your sales team, they're probably going to say, hey, we want to do business with all these big companies in my region. But then I think it's the marketing technologist or the marketing staff's mission to figure out, okay, amongst that broad list of initial suspects, who are the ones that are our VIP lanes where we actually see signals that they could be ready for another purchase. Maybe they're running legacy technology, maybe they're out online searching, maybe they've hit your website and read about your product but didn't convert. Um, maybe you have other indicators that there's people out there kicking tires for the sort of solutions that you have. And I think it's important that with those folks you get a disproportionate investment of time and money yes. because that's what's going to pay off. And it's very easy to start with very broad list of companies that are not in any sort of consideration cycle unless they have if you sell larger ticket marketing technology items there needs to be some sort of budget and you need to have certain people involved in the decision you're not going to yeah. convince just anyone even if it's the right company that they're going to go down the path so i think that 
deciphering that intent um, and really figuring out not only what companies to target, but which ones happens to be in some sort of buying cycle is sort of the, the thing that companies need to figure out. That makes a lot of sense because I know some people back away from accounts-based marketing thinking with all the companies out there we're interested in, we haven't got the resources to look closely at everybody. But you're saying you can practice triage, you can pick out, as you say, the VIP accounts, the ones which might be a market which are really worth focusing on. I think so. I think so. And then I think it's important that, like with anything, uh, most of the time, the stuff that we like and that we develop a preference for is things that we find ourselves. If, if I can find a company and, and make it seem like I organically found them, it's very different from a company that is peppering me with advertising yeah. <laughs> that's somewhat personal, but still it's just they're chasing me all the time. So I think that um, another facet of this is if you can if you can create really great content and you can help companies find that content and that content is useful for them, that is something very different from account-based marketing being display advertising yes. where you're just chasing people. Um, and we obsess about that, the, the organic discovery that people should find us rather than us always finding them. Um, even if it's a little bit of an engineering going in and that we would ideally want certain companies to find us. But it is different than if we look at, at where the leads come from that actually turn into opportunities, mm -hmm. our inbound machine of people finding us versus us being out there trying to right. really, it's very different. Um, and I think it's being a little bit underutilized. People are, are still not using content in the way that it should be used. And by that I mean, okay, truly useful content that helps another human being at another company do his or her job better. Yeah. That's good content. Now, uh, this of course is the business Episerver is in, and I would assume, I'd be very shocked if you told me you were using somebody other than Episerver <laughs> to do this, to do your own marketing. So things like uh, when the interested person ends up at uh, Episerver website, are you doing things to optimize the experience for them, to to deliver to them the content which you think based on signals they're looking for at that time? We are doing a little bit of that. We're still building that out. Mm -hmm. uh, but the way that we would like to do it is to work with the VIP accounts and then make sure that if and when those people come to us or they come back to us, then we try to be as personal as possible. Right. It's hard to do personalization for everyone all the time, sure, but you sure. do have the bandwidth if you focus enough to do it for a few of them. And then we try to be very personal in also, um, and, and I think it's our website is the hub of our marketing, but we also need to connect with people in social channels. So sure. occasionally, if we have a sweet spot account coming to us, they will see a piece of useful content on LinkedIn being served up every second week. So we try yes. to show them something, eventually bring them back. And that type of marketing across other channels, we try to be very personal, very precise. In. Interesting. And just very, very broad figures. I mean, how many such accounts would you be looking at in the US any one time? Just give us some idea of the scale. So we, I think that we have, um, um, we, build, we build these high intent accounts in, in a few different ways, but I would say that overall it's no more than 500. Right. And that would That's, be all over the yeah. US in different verticals. It's still fairly uh, substantial yeah. in terms of... And then of, we have yeah. a few tiers within those accounts where sure. some are more VIP than others, but that's the gross number. Okay. Um, now, I wanted to change gear a little bit and talk about your experience. I've been here since February, previously based in Sweden. You've been going around, you've been meeting people, talking to people. Are you finding the marketing technology 
ecosystem, the way of doing things, the culture here, very different from Europe, or is it the same everywhere? Um, it's an interesting question. Um, I think there is more an obsession about how things look and feel in Northern Europe, where I'm from. Uh, if you look at how people do web, you see a lot of very, very pretty websites that look fancy. I think in North America, generally, people are a little less interested in the look and feel and more business impact oriented in terms of what does the website do for us. Okay. Um, and I think that generally, um, at least some companies there have gotten further in terms of, okay, how do we measure the impact of marketing and how do we obsess about what it does? If you're doing e-commerce, it's very, very simple. But if, you, if you're not in e-commerce, you need another way of sort of um, assessing the value of your marketing. And, yeah. and we have a very, very simple system where our conversions on a website come in three categories. It's a C conversion, it's a think conversion, or it's a do conversion. Okay. It, it, C, you're in the early stages, think, you're in the consideration stage. And we assign different values to those things. So we can say, okay, during this month, our website added this value because we know that a do conversion converts every so often into an opportunity for the sales team. So we can know, give or take, how much that is worth. Mm -hmm. And then that gives us a good idea of, okay, how much should we invest and how much should we do? And I think that that type of thinking of assigning monetary values even to non-e-commerce transactions, U.S. companies tend to be a little more savvy than than at least northern European companies, I would say. Okay. And we talked briefly, um, again before we start, about events. I know episode, I've been to Episerve or Ascend on a number of occasions, great event, and I know part of what's happening there is you're meeting people who, who are already your customers, learning from them, getting feedback from them. To what extent can you use events for customer acquisition for Episerve? I think that's, that's a nugget that we've been discussing a lot, and I think that now we have, most of us are on the same page in how we view it, so I think that if I look at at, at EpiServer Marketing, we should be superior than all of our competitors when it comes to online discovery. We want to be really good at making the right type of individuals at the right companies find us online because right. it's a scalable channel for people to find you. But it's very hard to build the right sort of merit and the right sort of trust with people only online. So we want to use customer gatherings and events as a way of really cementing that trust. Uh -huh. We don't want yeah. to run around the U.S. and be in every city everywhere trying to say, okay, we're going to capture so many leads here and there. But we want to be very careful and say, okay, amongst all the people that discover us online, how do we find a suitable meeting place offline so we can get to know each other and see, hey, is this something good? And our customer event is one, that's one, one item in that bucket of where we meet people offline. Mm -hmm. But we believe in the simple model of, okay, online discovery, offline meetings, not the other way around. There's still a lot of tech companies, I think, and B2B companies that are obsessing about doing every event and being at every trade show. <laughs> right. um, and for us, that's not going to be a successful model. We want to be scalable, modern, digital marketing for discovery, and then being very selective and saying, hey, we would love to meet you in your city. We're going to be here at this date and inviting the people that have already been in touch with us. I understand. Okay. Now, we're several months into your U.S. journey. How long do you see it lasting? Is it open-ended? <laughs> well, we'll see. Um, I am going to 
head back and cool off in northern Europe for a few <laughs> weeks in August when New York is getting too hot. Yeah. Um, but then I, I'm, I'm going to come back and I'll be here in September, October, November, and then we'll evaluate. But um, I'm very pleased with, with how things are going for us in North America. So, so maybe my mission is coming to uh, close to completion here. Um, and I'll head back to Stockholm and see how I can help out there. Okay, well, thank you very much for stopping by the offices. And I'll be catching up with you in the future, I'm sure. Thank you, Kim. Okay, and everyone look out for the next one-on-one podcast.